Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Gray, Georgia. Led by Pastor Randy Darnell, FBC Gray seeks to help people of all walks of life find Jesus and give Jesus away. If you are ever in the middle Georgia area, we would love to see you at one of our services. You can learn more about us at fbcgray.org. Now let's join Pastor Randy as we take another look into God's Word. It's neat. I, I told, uh, I said it before, and it, it just keeps working out. Uh, Logan has, he, I communicate my scripture to him. He knows well in advance of, of where I'm preaching. But the killer is, is, is he just knows the scripture. And we don't, we don't talk about themes because when Randy does a sermon, he starts here and he ends up over yonder, and it just doesn't, that just drives you crazy. And so uh, the, the purpose of this text is one thing, but I'm kind of going in a little different direction. And the crazy thing was is all the music today has gone the crazy direction. So either there's something mentally wrong with Logan and he just sort of matches up with me or the Holy Spirit's got a little part in this thing. And I think it's sort of cool. I think it's sort of cool. I've been to the Mojave Desert. Did y'all know that? You know when I found that out? I found it out this week. I was getting ready for this morning and I went to make sure that I was remembering the name of this place that I had been and it said that it was in the Mojave Desert and I went, well, son of a gun. I've always wanted to go to the Mojave Desert and I was there. So I just checked that bad boy right off my bucket list and off I'm gone. That's one less thing I got to go worry about. Went to the red, let's see exactly the name of this. It is the, open up the door, Red Rock Canyon. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. Has lots of uh, hiking trails out there. And uh, um, I went out there as part of the thing that was doing with the company, and I got to go on one of the outings with all the people that were there. And, the, and I love to hike. I love to see. I, when, when we go to different cities, I like to just get on the ground and, and walk. And me and the boys would do that a lot and end up in crazy places that we probably shouldn't be. But you get to see more of the world when you're on your feet and you just walk through the city to see everything. It's sort of cool. So hiking, I thought it was a great idea. I'm going to go on this hike. It says mild to, mild to moderate strenuous. And I thought, well, I can handle mild to moderate. I was about, you know, I was in my 50s at that point. It's be a piece of cake, right? So we show up on the day of the, of the, of the uh, trip, take the bus out to Red Rock Canyon. We meet our guide there. I should have known then that there was an issue. Uh, the guy comes out, he's in his early 30s, he is tall, he is wiry, he is lanky, he is tan, he is handsome. I should have figured out right there that I probably would be better off staying in the bus, but it didn't click yet. I was 50, mid-50s, everybody else on the trip was in their 20s, maybe early 30s, you know. And so he comes up and he says, okay, you got two choices. He said, we can, do, we can do the trip that's in the book that you read about, or... We can go a more scenic route. Let me help y'all understand something for all y'all that have a little age on you. The word scenic is a code. It means that you're over 30, you need not apply. Because I, everybody said, well, yeah, let's go the scenic route. So we went the scenic route. Y'all know I don't do a pie. I don't do a pie. And by a pie, I mean anything higher than three feet. And I am well out of where I want to be. So we go, we go, and we're walking, and we do, and we get to this rock face on this thing, and, and there's a ledge, <clears throat> and this, I'm, this is not an exaggeration at all. The ledge is about six inches wide around this rock ledge. You're 20 feet off the ground, 
if you fall off this thing, you're going to land on rock. So it's not like you're going to land on a trampoline and it's going to be okay. If you fall, you're going to hurt. And the, the rock ledge is, the, the, and you're supposed to walk across and you have to lean and you have to have your hands and you have to do like this, dig it across. I'm telling you right now, under normal circumstances, I would not do that. However, since I had signed up and I was with all these kids, I sort of kind of had to. And so here's Randy, 20 feet off the ground, leaning up against this rock wall, scooting across. I'm watching everything that that guy does. Everything. Wherever his hand went is where my hand went. Wherever his feet went is where my feet went. If he slid his feet, I slid my feet. If he stepped his feet up, I stepped my feet up. If he rubbed his nose with his left hand, I was rubbing my nose with my left hand. I did exactly what this guy did because I knew that he would get through this thing alive. And if I did everything he did, I would probably get through it alive too. So we get two-thirds of the way on this thing, and we're on top of this pretty nice little hill, and, and there are two guides. There's the one in the front that's young and handsome and all this, and then there's the older guy that's in the back, and, and he's with me all the time because I'm always in the back, you know, the last one to come up. And he says, no, we can leave here. He said, there's a side trail that'll just take us right on back to the bus so we can just go right on back to the bus and get some water and rest and be waiting on them when they get there. He said, lots of people do it. Don't be, you know, don't be ashamed. Lots of people do this. It's, it's okay. This is a strenuous trip. I'd made my mind up. I was going to finish this trip with everyone else. And I finished that trip with, well, not exactly with everyone else. They had to wait for me at the end. But I did finish the trip. I got to the very end of it. Now, here's the point of this story. As a Christian, there are no rules to keep. There's only Jesus to follow. Yet when we follow Jesus, everybody will see us doing the rules. Do you understand? Say it again. As a Christian, there are no rules to follow. There are no rules to keep. There's only Jesus to follow. Yet when we follow Jesus, everyone watching will see us keep the rules. I watched that God like a hawk. I did everything he did. And I'm here today to say I live to tell about it. Because I watched the God. It's a life principle. As Christian, there are no rules to keep. There's only Jesus to follow. Yet when we follow Jesus, everyone watching will see us keeping the rules. Now the scriptures from Romans 12, verses 9 through 16, and what those verses talk about is how to get along in the church. You can open your, open your Bibles up and be there. I'm not going to read it all at one time. We're going to go through it verse by verse. But what he's talking about, what Paul's talking about, is how to get along in the church. Now, if, when I went on this trip, if that guide had started out with a PowerPoint of rules, I would not have gone on that trip. And I don't believe I would have been successful. Because that PowerPoint of rules would have had things like, put your hand here, make sure you lean like this, make sure you do your feet like this, don't look down, keep your eyes forward, stay a safe distance from each other. There would be rule after rule after rule. And as I'm standing on that rock face, I'd be trying to remember all those rules, and that would not have turned out right. Because we studied Romans from the very beginning, because we studied Romans from the very beginning, 
we can do what these verses say because we can look at what Jesus is doing and do what Jesus does and we will be successful in what we do. It's pretty simple. Because we studied Romans, we know, we know, not because we know how to follow the rules, but because we are learning, listen, we are learning how to follow Jesus. Jesus is our wiry, handsome God. Our, service, our, our success is not predicated on how we know, how good we know how to do what we do. Our success is predicated on watching Jesus and doing what Jesus does. You're saying, Randy, that sounds like what would Jesus do? No, that's not what it is at all. I'm not asking what would Jesus do. I'm asking what, does, what is Jesus doing? What is he doing right now? If he is alive, as we just sang in that song, what is he doing? And that's what Paul's telling us. In this verse that we started with in chapter 12, verse 1, with eyes wide open to the mercies of God, seeing God, knowing how he is and what he's done. Paul knew from the beginning... Do y'all believe that Jesus was there when Adam and Eve were on the earth? What does John tell us? That, that everything that was was created by Jesus? So he had to be there, right? He was there when Adam and Eve fell. He was there when they taught Adam and Eve how to get animal skins for clothing. He was there when Abraham was led to the promised land. He was there when Moses was spoken to in a burning bush. He was there when Moses was led out of Egypt through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, to the promised land. He was there when Joshua was told three times to be strong and courageous because Joshua was not strong and courageous and had to be told three times, you need to be strong and courageous. He was there when Jericho was conquered, when Jerusalem was established. And then he came as a baby born in Bethlehem to a teenage mother that had known no man. He grew up, he lived, he taught, he laughed. You know what I believe he did? You know what? I, I know that Jesus was not a Baptist. I know he wasn't a Baptist. You know why? I believe he danced. I believe he danced. Have you ever, you ever watched on television? Maybe you've been to one, a Jewish wedding, but have you ever watched a movie with a Jew, Jewish wedding in it? And what do they do? The men get in a big circle, and they, y'all know the drill? Y'all seen that? I learned a Mexican hat dance. That was the first step of it, by the way, just in case you need to know. But y'all seen You don't think Jesus stood on the side, do you, and leaned up against the wall going, look at them heathens. Look at them heathens out there dancing. Good grief. I wonder if they all know that I could send them to hell right this minute. I wonder if they know. Do you think he, do you really? Do you really think? Or do you think that he loved the creation that he created? And that he enjoyed and that he loved what he created for us. But he was rejected by the very people that he came to save. He was crucified because the crowd said, he's not a God that you should follow. This is not a man that we should go the way he's going. But, on, but, but once they crucified him on the third day, our Savior, our God, showed us the way out of the grave. He led the way to heaven. He's there now, sitting at the right hand of the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit who reminds us every day every minute of who Jesus is and what Jesus did and God's great love for us. That's, that's who we're talking about. Four times in this scripture, four times before you get to Romans 12, four times Paul mentions the word love. 
in the context of God's love for us. Four times. Four times he uses the word agape. Y'all know what that is? That's the selfless love that only God can do. Four times he mentions that. He says, but God shows his agape, his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So while we were of no use, while we didn't know what we didn't know, he was already making a way for us. But then when we realized who he was and we realized that we needed a savior and we repented and we believed, it says that in verse 5 of, of chapter 5, God's love, his agape has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now that's important and y'all remember that later. That his agape was poured into us that we didn't have to start with but we got it now. You understand? Y'all hear me? Y'all hear me? This is yes, this is no, this is I died five minutes ago. Are you with me? He poured his love into us. It is in us. It is we are containers filled with his love now. That makes a difference. Two more times it's mentioned. How long is God's love going to stay with us? Romans 8, 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or sword or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Romans 8, 38 and 39, for I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, not even Donald Trump or Nancy Pelosi. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you understand? Our confidence, our hope, our success is guaranteed in this life by him. He knows every nook to grab hold of, every cranny that your fingers are supposed to go in. He knows how to traverse the rock so that if we do what he is doing, we will succeed. It's reality in this moment. This, this isn't Sunday school where we're learning about a story out there. We're bringing it all home and we're understanding that he is our living hope right this minute. Now, why all this to get to this part that talks about how the church is supposed to operate? Why do I do that? Because, because verses 9 through 16 are impossible for us to do. If we set this up as rules, it is absolutely impossible. These verses are an overview of how church people are supposed to get along. And I promise you, if you make these things into rules, you will slip and you will fall. You can't, I am convinced. It's not a possibility unless our eyes are wide open to the mercies of God and we have made up our minds that it is reasonable for us to follow Jesus. You're going to follow somebody. He's the one to follow. You've made up your mind that it is reasonable to follow Jesus because of all that Jesus has done, that I should follow him to the absolute best of my ability. In these verses that we're going to go through, I'm about to ruin your morning, there are 12 of them that we're going to go through. 12, and we're going to go through every one of them. We're going to go very, very fast. You'll be ready for that. There's 12 rules. We had 10 commandments. How'd that work out for you? Huh? How'd them 10 commandments work out for you? Y'all able to do them every day? Mm -hmm. How about the two commandments when Jesus made it a whole lot easier? He just said, love God and love each other. Yeah, how well did that work out for you? 
So now we've got 12, and then, I mean, we've got 10 commandments, we've got two, so we've got 12. We're going to double it up with 12 more. How do you think that's going to work out for you? Yeah, see, we can't do this. But with our eyes wide open to Jesus, our wiry, handsome God, we can. Now, having said all of that, how is the church supposed to get along? How are we supposed, what, what is it we're supposed to do? What is the church supposed to look like? How are we supposed to get along with each other? Number one, are you ready? Number one, let love, that's agape, weird because he's always used that for just God and now all of a sudden he's using it for us. He says, let love, let love be genuine. We cannot of our own volition love selflessly. We cannot, of our own accord, do agape. But remember what I read just a second ago, that Jesus pours his agape into us. And because his agape is into us, when we follow him and do exactly what he's doing, well, I'll be. We've got the love in us to do that with him. It says our love should be genuine. You remember the guy that betrayed Jesus, Judas, Judas Iscariot? I believe he loved Jesus. I believe he did. But I don't believe it was genuine love. He loved the things that he loved that he wanted. But when Jesus did things that he didn't want, he didn't love him anymore. He despised him. His love was not genuine. That's one of the things, folks, we, we've had a lot of people that have come through this church. They'll come through, they'll stay a while, and they'll leave. They'll go to another church. I think this is one of the reasons people do that. They're constantly going from church to church. They'll go someplace and they'll love it as long as they have the things that they want. But when they start doing something that they don't want, they don't like it anymore. They don't love it. So now they're going to move somewhere else and hope they find it there. can be the same thing, said the same thing with serial marriers. If you're on your eighth husband or your eighth wife, I got a feeling... You love them until you don't love them and you move on to somebody else. That's not sincere love. That's not genuine love. That's not the kind of love he's talking about having here. We are supposed to genuinely love each other. The second thing we do is to have discernment. He says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love is not the blind sentiment it is traditionally said to be. Sentimental love will lead you to all kinds of evil and sin. On the contrary, it is discerning. It is passionately, listen, 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 listen. It is passionately devoted to the beloved object that it hates every evil that is incompatible with his, high, her, his or her highest welfare. In other words, after I massacred that quote, let me put it like this. If something hurts you, Injustice, it's unfair. What's going on with some people in insurance companies right now makes me mad as fire because you're my sister, you're my brother, and I don't want nobody messing with you. That's what this is saying. That because in here, and it's going to make a, a, a difference in something we're going to learn a little bit later on. That's what it's saying. When something happens to you in this body, that is, that is not to your welfare, it's not to your benefit, it's evil, it's not good. It's supposed to make me angry. It says, abhor what is evil. That means hate what is evil. When I see you hurt, and you are hurt because of something unjust, not right, 
it ought to make me angry. Number three, the third word here is affection. It says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Two words here, you know, Greek have lots of words for love. He uses two different words here. The first word he uses is he says that we should love each other like parents love their children. That's how I'm supposed to love you. I'm a parents love my, like parents love their children. And then the second word for love he uses in the same sentence is he said that we should love each other like brothers and sisters, blood-related brothers and sisters. He says love each other like a parent loves a child, love each other like brothers and sisters love each other. Think, don't go to sleep on me, think about this for a minute. Over Christmas, we had 10 people sleeping in my house. We have three bathrooms, which I thank God for every single day. And when I had 10 people in my house, I really thank God for, 10, for three bathrooms. We do not have 10 bedrooms. We don't have five bedrooms, I don't think. No, we have some rooms we use as bedrooms, but they're not really bedrooms, because if we did, well, that's a long story. We had people sleeping in places that people shouldn't sleep. We had people laid up all over the place. But I loved that week because my family was at home. My son and my daughter and my son and my wife and me and everybody else that was a part of that big clan, that we were home. The family was home. Paul is saying that when you come in here on Sunday morning, that feeling ought to be in you that I'm home. I'm home. I've been a weary traveler all week long. And I'm home. And I get to see you. And I get to hug you. And you hug me. And we're genuinely glad that we see each other. When I say on Sunday mornings, y'all have heard me say it a billion times. It's new for our first-time visitors, but y'all have heard me say it every Sunday morning. We want it to feel like home for you. You know why I'm saying that? Because I want it to feel like home for you. I want you to have come in those doors. Y'all have got... I know you have. You've walked into some place where you walk in the door. I don't mean you spent time there. I mean you walk in the door and you go, I'm not sure I want to be here. Hadn't you? Haven't you? I have. Walk in and you can feel it when you walk in the door. Don't want that. We want when you walk in the door here, walk in the door and you go, hey, I'm home. This is a good place to be. The next one, number four, is honor one another. Is, is honor, is honor. And what he's saying there is to outdo each other in your loving. He's injected competition into it. What he's saying there is, is, is you ought to outdo each other in the way you love each other. And it's, it's not a, a bad competition that you're going to end up, somebody gets a trophy for being the best lover in the house, but it's not that kind of trophy. But it's, it's, it's where we're looking at each other and we're spurring each other on to doing good things because I saw you cleaning up the salt and pepper, salt and pepper shakers off the tables. Maybe I should go behind you and now I should wipe them. Maybe I should take out the trash. Maybe I should help somebody. Maybe I should do... It's a, he says, make it a competition that you love is... is is, is contagious, which I think is the next one, if I remember. Yeah, number five is enthusiastic. The New Living Translation makes it easier to understand. It says, never be lazy, work hard, serve the Lord enthusiastically. 
This is another one of those Greek word pictures, and it's a word that talks about a bubbling pot. Y'all have heard me talk about it before. It's one of my favorite things for breakfast. It's porridge. We went to the Nora Mill Granary in Helen, Georgia. We discovered porridge. We now buy our porridge in 15-pound bags. We are serious about us and porridge. That stuff is good, but when you get porridge, you got to want porridge because it takes 25 minutes at least for it to cook in order to be right. Now, here's the deal. It has to cook uncovered, okay? So if you've got the heat turned up too high, it's going to bubble out. It's, gonna, it's, it's thick. It's like sort of grits, but not. It's, you know, and it, and it doesn't just bubble out. It kind of explodes, and it, and it goes all over the countertops, and, and it burns when it hits you. I mean, you think, no. And it's just, go, how do I know that? <laughs> and it sticks to the bottom of the pot, and then it just sort of ruins everything. On the flip side of that, if the heat's not high enough, then when you spoon it out after 25 minutes and you taste it, it's crunchy because it's got rice in it. And I don't know what you guys, I don't like crunchy rice. And that's what this picture is giving us here. It's saying that our love should be enthusiastic for each other. It shouldn't be so enthusiastic that it's sort of put on, you know, that, that you say, oh, there comes David. I, uh, y'all run, here comes David because you know how he gets it's not that, but on the other hand, it's also not so that we have to take your temperature to see if you're still alive. It's not that way either. It says that there should be enthusiasm in the way we care for each other in the church. Enthusiasm when we see each other. Enthusiasm. Number six, the way we're supposed to treat each other is with patience. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Rejoice in our confident hope. We just sang the song a minute ago, right? Our living hope. Y'all remember that? We sang that. Why do we sing that? Because Jesus is our living hope. Hope, remember, remind you again. I want you always to know this. Hope is not that I hope I'm going to win the lottery. That is not hope. That is a wish. I wish that one day somebody would knock on my door with that big check from Publisher's Clearinghouse and tell me that I've won $5,000 week, $5, a week for eternity. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. That would tickle me to pink, but that's a wish. That's a wish. A hope is an unrealized expectation. That means I know that it's going to occur. It just hasn't happened yet. See, one day, one day, I keep saying this because I want it to be real to all of us. One day, we're going to meet our God face to face. One day, we're going to meet Jesus face to face, every last one of us. We're going to meet Jesus face to face. That's our hope. That's our hope. It's an unrealized certainty. I know it's going to happen. I'm going to see my God face to face one day. That is my hope. And because I have that hope, because that's my joy, that one day I will meet Jesus face to face. Until that time, I know there's going to be troubles. So first, I'm going to be patient through all these troubles. And then I'm going to pray. Now listen to what Martin Luther said about this. He said, in this passage, Paul is emphasizing that Christians should engage in frequent as well as diligent prayer. For to be constant, constant in prayer, means not only to take a great deal of time, but also to urge, to incite, to demand. There is no work for which the Christian ought to be more frequent, so no work requires more labor and effort, and therefore is more efficacious and fruitful. We should make time to pray for one another, and our love for each other should be such 
that when we do pray for one another, we're not saying, Lord, bless them and keep them. Lord, guide them. What it's saying is, is that, that I abhor, I abhor, I hate when something bad happens to you. I hate it. And when I think about you, it hurts me that you're hurting. And so my prayer is, Lord, please, I may even go, why are you letting this happen? Do you not know who your sister, who your daughter is? What is it, Father, that's going on? Please help them. Remember them. Rescue them. Let pain come out. Let hurt come out. Beseech him. The words words that he said here that, um, back up, where was it? He said to urge, incite, to demand. Lord, please help my friend. Restore their family. Restore their health. Lord, this was stolen from them. Their identity was stolen. Lord, catch the perpetrator and help them to, Lord, help. Serious, concentrated, focused prayer. Lord, show them the next step. Help them to see you. Help them to put their hands where your hands go, where your feet, uh, their feet where your feet go. Help them, Father. If we're praying passionless prayers, chances are real good we're not watching Jesus because Jesus isn't praying passionless prayers. Number seven is generosity. Generosity says contribute to the needs of the saints, verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Share in each other's suffering, feel their pain, then do what you can to alleviate that pain. One of the neat things, real quick, night to shine, happened last Friday. It's a prom for special needs students, uh, Bradley hosts it. We were a little bitty part of it. We kept their children uh, for the volunteers. Uh, Laura Austin and I kept their children until we couldn't stand it anymore. And then we passed off to some other people uh, that kept the children for the rest of the evening. It's a, I'm not good. No. It was ministry, trust me. The Lord was with me all the way. Uh, but we got all that done for them. But anyway, the point of the story is, is on Thanksgiving night or, or the Sunday night before Thanksgiving, we had our community Thanksgiving service. The offering went to the night to shine, and we mentioned it in here. And we had one of the biggest offerings we've ever had that night. But the cool thing about it was is the community heard what it was all about and what was going on. And from that point on, the community has been sending money to Bradley. Steve said that every now and then he'd just get a $1,000 check in the mail. Just somebody just wrote him a $1,000 check. He said, money's come in. That thing is expensive. It's like $18,000 to put that bad boy on. Tim Tebow says, if you don't do it this way, you don't do it. So they have to do it exactly the way they want it. And they get a little money from the foundation, and then this year they'll get less, and I think next year they get less, and the next year they get nothing. And, and the generosity of this community, when they heard about special needs children, special needs children had a prom, and all night long they heard, Jesus loves you. All night long, these kids, who I am sure have been bullied and have been told and called countless names, heard all night long, Jesus loves you. Generosity. And that's a cool thing. Hospitality's next. When we score this one, we're going to see amazing things happen in the sanctuary Origen was an early church father, late 100s, early 200 AD. He said this, he said, we're not just to receive the stranger when he knocks on our door, but to actually inquire after the stranger, look carefully for, 
strangers, to pursue them and search them out everywhere, lest perchance somewhere they may sit in the streets or lie without a roof over their heads. This is something I've been wanting to do for four years. I've been talking about it. It's not gaining traction, but it's going to one day. And when it does, it's going to tickle me pink and it's going to be great for the church. Here's something I want. Under the rubric of hospitality, I want somebody to own this section of pews during this worship service. I want them to own it. It's theirs. And every Sunday they come in and everybody in this section gets a smile and a handshake and I'm glad you're here and a listening ear for just a second. That everybody feels welcomed home here. And I want somebody for here and I want somebody for here and I want somebody for here. It takes a special person to do that. Not everybody can do it. It's a special calling. But that's hospitality because you seek out the person. You aren't waiting for somebody to come talk to you. You're standing up to go and make you feel at home and you feel at home and you feel at home and you feel at home. And when you go home, you know that somebody at First Baptist Church was thrilled that you were here today. That's what I want. I need eight people. Actually, I need more than that so that you can be sick. If I only get eight, you can't be sick and you can't go on vacation. But that's hospitality. We're not waiting. We are actively engaged. Number nine is goodwill. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. This is very, very hard. And this is, next week, you're going to hear the same thing again in the context of the people outside the church. This week we're talking about how people in the church operate. Next week we're talking about how people outside the church operate. This belongs there, you think, but it doesn't. It belongs right here because of this. When something bad happens to you, what you want to do is to call that person a mangy dog, among other things, and you want to talk bad about them, and you want to call curses down on them, and you want them to have fire fall from heaven, and you want to do all those things. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus says to bless them. Now, here's why this is here. In the church, my job is when I hear you dogging them out and giving them down the country, my job is to come up to you and say, hang on a second, sister. Bless those who persecute you. Let's, me and you, let's pray that God blesses them and helps them see the error of their ways. Now, what we do now is when we hear about it, then there's two of us that are calling fire down from heaven. But what he's telling us is when we've got our eyes on Jesus and we're following him and doing what he says, doing the way he does things, watching him do this, because people persecute Jesus every day, he's still calling out for them to be saved. It's a blessing. My job is to come alongside you and help you do what Jesus said. Now that one's hard. That one's, I, I'm, I'm right with you on that one. That one is really, really hard because when somebody messes with me, you know, my first instinct is, is I want to run over them in the parking lot with a car. Right, it's just that simple. You know, we, Ben used to have a Land Rover with one of those big brush guards on the front of it. I thought that'd be just right. It leans like this before it goes like that. I'd hit you, you'd go down, and boom, right over the top of you, and it's over. <sighs> I have a T-shirt that I was given for driving a bus that has my motto on the back of it. It says, I will run over you. But I won't. 
But that's what this is saying, is that somebody needs to come alongside us. When we're hurt, when we're hurt, we lose sight. And and the person's supposed to come alongside and help us to get our sight back on Jesus. Because the tenth property is sympathy. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. When you hurt, I hurt. When you're happy, I'm happy. Our nature is to envy each other. But Jesus says, no, don't envy each other. He says, love one another, feel for each other, have sympathy for one another. Number 11 is harmony. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Since we have a renewed mind, it should be a common mind sharing the same basic convictions and concerns. Guys, I hate to break this to you, but there is only one way to believe. There's a thing called orthodoxy. And there are right things to believe. Now, there are things we can dispute. How how is Jesus going to come back the second time? Is it going to be premillennial rapture? Is it going to be postmillennial, amillennial? We can argue about all that stuff until the cows come home. That really doesn't matter because when it happens, we're all going to lean back and go, oh, I didn't see that coming. But Jesus is Lord, yeah. That he was born of a virgin, that he died on a cross, was buried in a tomb, that's non-negotiable. That's what, that's what we believe. And he's, he's saying here that we live in harmony with one another. We have the same beliefs. And then he talks about humility in number 12. You reference back to verse 3. Don't think more highly of yourself than you should. Don't be a snob. Don't be a snob. John Stott says, Few kinds of pride are worse than snobbery. Snobs are obsessed with questions of status. They forget that Jesus fraternized freely and naturally with social rejects and calls his followers to do the same with equal freedom and naturalness. So there you go, 12. If you turn those into rules, you'll fail. It's 12 ways, 12 things, 12 characteristics that we should have of how we get along in the body with our brothers and sisters. He is not talking about the church universal. He is talking to the church at Rome. He is talking to the first Baptist church of Gray. And here's the deal. If we turn these into rules, we're in a mess because let, here's, here's the test. If you're taking notes, don't look down at your notes. What was number one? Um, do what? Love sincerely. Love genuinely. That's, that's number one. So three or four people make it and the rest of us are going to die and go to hell. We, we can't. We can't remember. There's no way to remember all the rules. There's no way. Our natural tendency, number two, is selfishness. And, and admit it, I, it, it, it rubs me the wrong way when I think about it, and it probably rubs you the wrong way when I say it, but everybody I know wants what they want when they want it and how they want it, right? I want what I want, when I want it, how I want it. And if it's okay with you and you're in the same way, then okay, that's great. And if you don't like it, well, tough noogies because I'm going to get what I want. So what I'm going to do. That's not how Jesus did it. That's not how Jesus does it. That's not how our wiry, handsome God works. Don't you see? When we realize that, that Jesus is alive and that we're watching him, 
not for life lessons, but we're watching how he works every day, hourly, sometimes minute by minute. We stick to our God like our lives depend on it because our lives do depend on it. It's really not as hard as we make it out to be. Do not ask, what would Jesus do? You look and see what Jesus is doing, and then you do the same thing. You're not looking for a principle. You're looking to see what Jesus is doing, and then you do the same thing. As a Christian, there are no rules to keep. There's only Jesus to follow. Yet when we follow Jesus, everyone watching will see us keep the rules. Let's pray. Father, I thank, I thank you as I watch you build each week. You build more and more into me and into this congregation an awareness of the living Christ. An awareness that Jesus is alive and is truly working in us, with us, through us, and around us. That when I watch my brothers and sisters doing godly things, it is the agape that you poured inside of them working through them. And I recognize that, and I'm drawn to do the same thing. Father, I thank you for this body at First Baptist and all of these things, Lord. We want these things so badly. We, we have them. We're, we're, we're not a bereft, church bereft of these things. But Lord, we want it even more. We want to come here on Sunday mornings and know that we're home. And Lord, we want our brothers and sisters to yearn to be together on Sunday mornings and, and groups on Sunday nights and maybe groups during the week and they go places together because we're family. Father, you can change our hearts. Help us to yearn to do what you're doing. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for another episode from FBC Gray. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single message. For more information about First Baptist Gray, visit us online at fbcgray.org. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue helping people find Jesus and give Jesus away. Music